fireball. It's Hunt with Bruce back again. Week 5, episode 5. You're probably wondering why I said we're back again. It's because we were trying to be back last week for episode 4. But uh, as we mentioned when we started the podcast, technical difficulties may happen because we are not very good when it comes to the computers. No, I think episode four is somewhere in the cloud, if I if I understand the cloud correctly, which I don't think that I do. It's somewhere out there in the stratosphere. We'll, we'll eventually try to pull it down. Probably not a whole lot to glean from that discussion now that we're already uh, staring into week 11, but it's out there. If anybody can find it for us, please feel free to do so. We're still looking for it. It's like a lost puppy at this point. We might get it up there here with this next episode. Uh, it'll be like the secret tapes of Hunt with Bruce or, you know, like that Tupac album that we're all waiting to come out right. ever since he moved to the Philippines or wherever Suge Knight's son says he's at right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll, we'll get it back on air. And Ryan, it was, uh, again, uh, a fun week in, in college football. Not as crazy, I think, as weeks past. But no. uh, I thought the intro was appropriate. Fireball. Fireball had a big place in my weekend at uh, the Ohio State-Michigan State game. I saw you at the game. Did yeah, you enjoy great, yourself? I did. I had great seats. Uh, my brother-in-law was able to score a couple sideline passes for the game, so we enjoyed it up close and personal right next to the Michigan State bench the whole game, all four quarters. It was a great game until about that that final frame. Michigan State headed into the fourth quarter, trailing by three points, nine to six, and then it kind of fell apart from there, didn't it? Yeah, man. I mean, it was it was just a defensive uh, onslaught the whole three quarters. Basically, I think there were nine seconds left in the third quarter that yep. led us into the fourth quarter that got out of hand a little bit there. As you mentioned, basically nine seconds left in the third quarter. Michigan State takes a safety on purpose. If you didn't see the snap and just heard they gave up a safety, uh, that's not quite how it went because the snap went about 48 yards over the punter's head and he didn't react. I mean, it was it was a planned uh, planned snap. And then we get a touchdown the next possession. Yep. Uh, Michigan State gives a touchdown up to Ohio State right in the end zone. Yeah, and that snap uh, on that safety leading into the fourth quarter, I think that went further than a couple of Ohio State's punts did on that on the day. Yeah, speaking of, uh, you know, spoiler alert, player of the week for Ohio State, if you haven't already heard it, the punter, mm-hmm. dude was killing it on Saturday. Uh, yeah. What did you tell me? Was it six of nine? Yeah, six out of the last nine drives for Michigan State in the second half started inside their own 10-yard line. The best field position they had in the second half started from their own 25. So it was a battle of field position, being a defensive battle as it was pretty much the entire game you started to figure that whoever had that advantage in field position or made the fewest mistakes was ultimately going to come out victorious and clearly Ohio State won the field position battle they also made the fewest mistakes at the end of the day as well which is what gave them the victory yeah they they won the turnover battle MSU had three turnovers all of them costly Um, you know it's it's hard to think one was more costly than that touchdown and uh, I want to play it for you here real quick. 
because I, I don't think anybody knew what was going on. And before we knew it, you're uncovering a pile and it's full of Ohio State players and it's a touchdown. Lombardi in an empty backfield. Now Nelson motioning and the snap hits him. Cooperson in the ground and Ohio State's got it for a defensive touchdown. We'll see who's on the bottom of the pile, but the snap hit Nelson while he was moving in motion. And Ohio State's going to come up with a defensive touchdown, and it is Draymond Jones, I believe. So one thing about that play, and of course I'm, you know, I'm watching the highlight again here as we listen to it, but Lombardi tried to scoop it and make something out of the play where if he would have just jumped on it, he was the first one to the ball. Maybe we just give up another safety again. I would assume that's what would have happened. And instead, you know, he tries to make a play. And when a 300-pound guy jumps at your arms, you're probably not pulling it out from underneath him. I agree. We were right down by the end zone on the sidelines when that play occurred. And you saw the fumble and Ohio State jumped on the ball. That sucked the energy right out of Spartan Stadium. They couldn't recover from there. As much as they tried to get Lombardi in rhythm after that, you know, it, it things just didn't seem to be working for Michigan State all game. They ended up two for 16 on third downs. And both Lewerke and Lombardi, they were equally ineffective. Lewerke ended the day, you know, completing less than 50% of his passes for 128 yards and a touch and one interception. Uh, Lombardi was seven for 20. 92 yards he did have a nice 47 yard run I believe he was the leading rusher on uh, on Michigan State's team as well so offense again can continues to struggle in East Lansing I had asked the question last week what offense we're going to see from Michigan State on Saturday and it turns out we actually didn't really get to see an offense from Michigan State on Saturday no there, there was that lone drive in my opinion when Lombardi came in they made the switch to him and he had a solid uh, I can't remember 85 90 yards went down the field. They only got a field goal out of it to make it seven to six. Uh, but it was a nice drive. I thought that Lombardi was the guy to go with, even though, again, like you said, there weren't any flashes of offensive intelligence on the field at any point in time. But you saw even after the game, Lewerke was quoted in saying that he his arm doesn't feel good. He thought when he got benched, he was done for maybe the season. He said he might shut it down for the season, then he gets put back in after that debacle in the end zone. And I understand it if you're punishing the freshman. You're saying, Lombardi, you know, you, you, the snap, the cadence was off. That's why it hit Nelson. But if Lewerke's hurt, there's no point to put him back in the game regardless of what's happening. He's hurt. I agree. Even though Lewerke finished with more yards through the air than Lombardi did, when Lombardi was in the game, they never quite got into a rhythm, but more of a rhythm, I think, than when Lewerke was in the game. And you had mentioned that final drive in the second half where the Spartans drove down the field with little time remaining on the clock to kick a field goal and end up going into halftime just down by one. So I thought that there was a little more rhythm with Lombardi in the game, a little more consistency on offense. And he certainly opens up the playbook in a way that Lewerke can't with a with a bruised or banged up shoulder. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how D'Antonio and the offensive coaching staff handles that moving forward. I guess my question to you would be moving forward the rest of the season with just a couple of games left on the docket for the regular season, at least. Do you prefer Lombardi? Do you prefer Lewerke? Are you leaving that decision up to the hands of the coaches and saying you guys deal with it? Well, I think if Lewerke's hurt at all, I mean, if his arm doesn't feel good, then he shouldn't play. Lombardi's more than just a serviceable backup. Put him in there. I actually think when we get to the offseason that we're going to see Lombardi 
push Lewerke and probably take that position over. Unfortunately for Lewerke going to that senior year, he might, in fact, I think he will lose that starting position. Um, but if Lewerke's okay coming into the bowl game, then maybe you put him back in, you let him start when he gets healthy, you know, in the next month or so. But if his arm's hurting at all, it's his throwing arm, you can't play him in the game. Um, but that wasn't the only uh, questionable call that I wanted to mention in this game that the Spartans made. A couple of them. One, the safety that we mentioned was to flip field position. But then you go in and the kicker kicks it out of bounds, which puts it back at the 50-yard line, not the 35, because they had to punt or kick off from 15 yards deeper. So you make up the difference there and bring it to the 50. Nullifies the field advantage you were going you're going for so poorly executed plan I kind of get it but then again you've you've been playing field position the whole time and Ohio State hadn't come come away with more than one score in three quarters so I I don't know what changed other than maybe you get nervous because you're going into the fourth quarter you know down down one kick into the 50 maybe Mm -hmm. Um, the other one you've got the reverse pass from Cody White now we, we get, you know, ineligible uh, receiver downfield or lineman downfield on that play. Obviously, they're blocking, assuming Cody White's going to run it. For those of you that didn't see it, there was kind of a double clutch from Cody White. And that's when I think the linemen assume he's running the ball. Then he comes back up to pass it again. Guys wide open. We score. Flag brings it back. Tough play in general. I thought that was the hugest momentum swinger of the game until we got to that that uh, fumble in the fourth quarter in the end zone. But gosh, if MSU scores a touchdown there, I think the wheels start coming off a little bit for Ohio State, and you start seeing the crowd get crazy. Yeah, the crowd was fired up after that touchdown before they knew it was going to be called back. And again, that was another play that happened right in the end zone where we were standing on the sidelines, and uh, I jumped up. You know, I was excited for it. <laughs> I'm not a big Michigan State football fan, certainly hate Ohio State, so I wanted to see the Spartans come out with a victory in that one. That play was certainly exciting, and as I'm jumping up, you had Daryl Stewart Jr. run by me. We slapped hands. We were excited, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> we both look on the field, and there's uh, there's a, some dirty laundry there, and the play ends up getting called back. Unfortunately, for the Michigan State offense, they couldn't quite get anything going after that. No, and you know, thank God my dad saw that flag and grabbed me before I could start the celebration in our section. Uh, for those of you that haven't sat with me or, or seen it go down, I usually start a frenzy that starts out with some high fives and then a jam pile at some point. And I was getting ready for that celebration. And he goes, hey, Ryan, it's coming back. And so he saved me from uh, having fun and then realizing the agony afterwards. But Pump the uh, yeah, it, it was an unfortunate play, that's for sure. Yep. Some other things, though, that, that, you know, you mentioned the rushing issues that we had in the game. So there were 18 rushes by MSU against Ohio State, the fewest D'Antonio has ever had in the game, the fewest attempts. What's even more crazy about that stat, six of those rushes were by running backs, six of them. We gained five yards off those six rushes. So how, how that's your game plan especially you mentioned we get the ball six times inside the the 10 or the five yard line and you don't have rush attempts at that time. I think there were two straight possessions. Granted the the second one was the fumble, 
where Lombardi passed every single time. That's been the not, that was the knock on Ohio State coming into the game as well was their rush defense. So you expected Michigan right. State to do a little bit more on the ground with their running backs, but to put the hands solely almost in Lombardi or Lewerke almost the entire game, whether on the ground or through the air, was pretty head scratching to me. And and for as as well as Michigan State's rush defense did, once again, given the positions that they were put in throughout the day with losing that field position battle. I'm not sure what else you could ask of Michigan State's defense. At some point, the offense has to come to play, and you can't get it done if your two quarterbacks are your leading rushers on a team that should be handing the ball off to some pretty talented tailbacks there in East Lansing. Yeah, even with Scott out, you know, LJ Scott's going to take a red shirt, which is amazing. I didn't think he would consider it, but he's coming back. Hopefully he can help out next year. And again, we should have a lot of pieces in place. But you mentioned the offense. It's a perfect segue. Kind of the last thing I want to touch on with this game before we move on is a lot of people are calling for Warner's head. You know, the O coordinator needs to go. The schemes are off. The play calling's not the greatest. And obviously the, the results, we don't have any results. We're not getting, you know, you can call a run play every time if you're scoring touchdowns left and right, but he's not scoring. He's not generating points. The red zone efficiency is horrible. And I know people look back and they say, well, gosh, 2014, 15, 17, you know, we have 9, 10, 11, 12 wins. Offense was great with Cook. Let me give you some stats for this year and then for the prior three years. So this year out of 129 teams, we have the 110th total offense, 116th in rushing yards, 117th in scoring, and 128th for third down conversions again that's out of 129 teams this is the worst out of D'Antonio's tenure here with Michigan State and to give you an idea let's go back to 15 MSU had an incredible season we were the 73rd ranked offense total offense 2016 75th okay that was when we went three and nine last year we were the 91st ranked offense So what that tells me, and it's something my boss always says, is that figures can lie and liars can figure. And all I mean and all he means by that is that you look at at the stats, you look at the rankings. MSU did so well, so well in their their record. They win 10 games, 11 games, and you think, oh, the offense was there. No, our offense was the worst last year. We just won those close games that we're losing this year. Our defense is keeping us on the field. But at the end of the day, you tell me one other team that would keep a guy around this long calling the offense with that kind of those kinds of stats, not just this year, but this will be the fourth year we've had to deal with this. Mm-hmm. D'Antonio's loyalty is certainly becoming a liability, Absolutely. I would think. And, uh, you know, you're going to keep hearing calls for Warner to pack his bags and head for... I don't want to say greener pastures, but certainly somewhere outside of the East Lansing city limits to search for a new job. Um, It's been something that's that's been going on now. And uh, fans have been calling for his head for a couple of years. This is nothing new for the Spartans. Um, So hopefully hopefully D'Antonio can come to his senses and realize that in order for them to keep uh, playing at an elite status and get to that 10, 11, 12 win season that uh, that they're accustomed to over the last decade in his tenure they gotta have to they're gonna have to do something different on offense 
Yeah, he either needs to go somewhere and be a position of coach again, or he can go live in a van down by a river. Yeah. <laughs> Get him out of there. But You don't care either way. You'd actually probably like to see him live in the van for a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. The second coming of Matt Foley. I love yeah. it. <laughs> Speaking of coaches, you know, one of our favorite coaches to listen to, um, Mike Leach, and and he, he had a, what was it, an article? Tell me what you heard about Mike Leach over the weekend. Yeah, there was a press conference that he had, and I, I think because he gives these interesting answers and certainly will never shy away from delivering an answer to a reporter, uh, one of the reporters asked him, out of all the Pac-12 coaches, if there was this massive coaching brawl in the Pac-12, <laughs> who would come out on top? And of course... Mike Leach had, uh, as always, a very interesting answer and uh, interesting perspective um, on, on who would come out on top. So it got us thinking, out of all the Power Five conferences, what if there was a coaching brawl within each conference? What coach, what head coach would come out uh, standing on top and uh, the least bruised and least battered out of the bunch? Yeah, well, first of all, it sounds like they basically wanted to know if there was a Royal Rumble <laughs> who would come out. Which would be really funny to have between a bunch of coaches. But before and, we get and best, into and sorry. the best part about and the best part about Leach's answer is that he didn't even give one answer. He started off by saying Kyle Whittingham at Utah, then all of a sudden he reconsidered and started talking about Herm Edwards at Arizona State. So there is no wrong answer, there is no right answer in the scenario, but I thought it would be a fun game for us to play. No, and, and spoiler, I will tell you that those were the two coaches that came to mind for me in the Pac twelve. We'll get into to, to your answer about the Pac-12 and the rest of the conferences, but we were talking about the quirkiness of Mr. Leach, the pirate man, and I wanted to play this clip uh, after the game over the weekend where conversations about mustaches on players somehow happens. Troll the ball. That's a little mustache. Oh, yeah, there we go. sensation has taken over Pullman and much of the country. How can you describe what he has meant to this team? Well, I don't know. I don't even think he had a mustache when I recruited him. I don't recall. And then uh, Nate's got more than a mustache, too. And I don't know why everybody only notices his. But a lot of these kids have mustaches. Anyway. And now you do, too. You're rocking it. Yeah, no, I do, too. All right. Coach Leach, congratulations on the win. All right. Thank you so much. I'm not sure if that interview took place on Washington State's field or at P.T. O'Malley's, the way that Leach sounded after the game. Oh, and he just, he's, he felt so awkward. If you watch the clip, he's like, he's looking to get out of there. He just mm -hmm. does not want to be there anymore. And uh, he's just the quirkiest guy. So, so out of the coaches, Pac-12, would you, would you say Edwards or Whittingham would have the edge? I actually think Leach would be my favorite to come out on top. He's... <laughs> He's got to be sponsored by Dos Equis because he's the most interesting man in the world to me. And whether it's wearing a fake mustache after post-game interviews, um, I did not know this, but he coached a football team in Finland in his early uh, coaching days. And his autobiography is titled Swing Your Sword. So he's oh my. he's the Charlie Day, always sunny wildcard type. <laughs> you know, he's, he's like the most dangerous, unpredictable man in the group. And I think he would somehow figure out a way to... Uh, to punch his way to the top in the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah. Well, he would come up with some uh, interesting moves, I can tell you that. But uh, 
if we look down the list, let's just have some fun with this. If we look down the list of conferences, uh, going to the SEC next, who would who would you have coming out on top if we had a little Royal Rumble in that conference? That'd be Coach Joe. Well, it's you. <laughs> Has to be Coach Joe. Uh, you can't I, under you can't understand a word that he says. You know he loves football more than life. And I wouldn't be surprised if he is on a weekly basis putting on the shoulder pads and a helmet, strapping up with the boys and running Oklahoma drills with his team. And if you haven't heard his Ole Miss Wild Boys story from when he was the Rebel coach back in the day, you need to do yourself a favor. Pause this podcast. Google Coach O Ole Miss Wild Boys and you'll thank us later. (laughs) I I thought Orgeron as well. My my sneaker was Derek Mason from Vandy. He just seems scrappy, and he's like a little bowling ball. I think he could could tear some people up. But, yeah, Orgeron, he's a scary dude. He's a big dude for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, heading to the conference that I think we should agree upon 100%, the Big 12, are you going with I'm a man, I'm 40, or are you going no, elsewhere? I'm actually going to go elsewhere. I'm going to go oh. Bill Snyder at Kansas State. And hear me out. Hear me out on old Bill. Uh, my <laughs> uncle has said for quite some time, he doesn't have a lot of fight left in him, but he's good for one more fight. And I think that's Bill Snyder's mentality. He's good. <laughs> He'd have one last fight. He's, he's got one last <laughs> shot. He might go down swinging at the end of the day, but he's got one more fight in him. I picture him going down like like blue from old school, man, and just getting ready. He's about to throw a haymaker, and then he just falls backwards, and that's all she wrote. He's gonna hit that lifeline button, help a phone, and I can't get up. That's that's Bill Snyder, but he'll he he could get the job done. I I imagine he's still at his old age if he's coaching out in Manhattan in Kansas, he's still scrappy. So so you're thinking we'd get the Bob Barker version from Happy Gilmore? Hey, that's who's, right, that's exactly. just coming out swinging. Right. I I gotta go with Mike Gundy just because when you got a mullet, business in the front, party in the back, fight all over, man. That's <laughs> that's what that haircut means. And he's a fiery dude. What about what about if we jump to the ACC? Uh, who do, who did you have out of those guys? We might be in agreement here, but I think it's Steve Adazio at Boston College. Bingo. I think he he looks like he could be delivering pile drivers from the top rope at a WWE yeah. SmackDown event. Uh, I would literally cry if he started yelling at me. I think he's a scary looking dude. He, he's like uh, Goldberg's dad or something from right. from back in the day wrestling. Yep. Yeah, he he's the that's guy. The perfect, that's the perfect description of him. Now, we, we might have to go, when we get into the Big Ten here, we might have to go new school and old school. Because I think w- with the changes last season coming into this season, I'm not fighting Scott Frost no matter what. True. But if we look to the old school guys, there's a couple that stood out to me, one of, one of which is Mr. Pat Fitzgerald from mm-hmm. Northwestern. Dude played Classic. football. I believe yep. he was a backer. And then you got Mr. Brom from Purdue that also is one of those guys that just from a, a you know, stern, firm, angry guy, like I, I look at him and I'm like, all right, he probably could throw down as well. <laughs> and he played football. Yeah, he did. Uh, the one thing I will say before I give my pick on the Big Ten, I know who would be the first one out. I think it'd be Urban Meyer. We'd find him in the corner scarfing down to Domino's, crushing up Advil to deal with his headaches. I think he'd be the first one out. Um, but my pick, yeah, would be Jeff Brown at Purdue. He was a former, not NFL, not NFL Europe, a former XFL quarterback. That's right. He was literally knocked out of a game, seeing stars knocked out is what I'm talking about. 
he came back the next week and in the on-field interview in the pregame, they asked him how he was able to come back and not miss a game after being knocked out the previous one. And he said, is this the XFL? Yes, it is. Do I have a pulse? Yes, I do. Let's play some football. <laughs> so that's spoken like a true warrior. He's a, he's a dude I would not want to mess with. I'm so glad that you you had that quote or remembered that quote because it was it was hilarious. I remember seeing that. So, yeah, yeah, one of, that, yeah, I think ESPN played it uh, pregame during one of their uh, games earlier this year. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's a tough one. Um, so we've got we've got the Royal Rumble winners that we'd have. Who who would you have coming out if we just threw all the conferences together? Everybody's in the ring. Everybody's in the ring, man. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, I sir, I don't think it's Bill Snyder. He's already you know after the Big Twelve fight, I think he's pretty much down and out for the count. After that, uh, he'll retire. Um, I I'm gonna stick with Coach L at LSU. I don't think anybody would want to go up mano e mano. Let's go throw down by your back for the you. He's he's a scary looking dude, like you said. He's big, uh, he's ferocious, and uh, his team might not always be the best in the SEC. But I can't imagine a more passionate college football coach who can uh, time and time again find a way to get the job done. See, I just think of who who could take a stone cold stunner out there and then slam the beers afterwards in celebration. And so I, I got to go with Steve Adazio. He looks the most like Stone Cold. He's going to hand out the double bird, kick to the kick to the stomach, and finish her off. And then he'll celebrate with the beers. <laughs> I have no idea what the hell those moves are that you just listed. So you must have watched a lot more <laughs> WWE, WWF growing up than I did. But I'd love to see a Coach O, Steve Adazio, for the title belt match in the cage at some point in the future. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. And, yes, I was a huge Stone Cold Steve Austin fan, man. I can tell. If, if you don't know what's going on when that glass breaks, you don't know that means Stone Cold's coming out, man. <laughs> I, I guess I would have yeah. no idea that he's yeah, coming you, out. you got to watch out. I wish I had that, that soundboard right now so I could play it for you. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> yeah. But moving on, before people get confused as to what uh, what this podcast is about, no, we're not recapping the WWF. Uh, we wanted to talk about three teams that are not ranked, not in the CFP, that you're, you're saying, you know, if Notre Dame goes up against them, you know, or anybody in the top 10, let's say, you might be a little worried about them staying undefeated or staying where they are at the CFP. Um, so who, who do you got? Give me your first one. My first one right off the bat, they're a team that's receiving some votes in the AP top 25. I think they should be in the AP top 25, to be honest. It's the Army Black Knights. They lead the nation in time of possession. Their triple option attack is extremely difficult to defend. Hardly anybody in the country runs it, but nobody right now at this moment in time runs it better than Army. And we saw them give Oklahoma a run for their money. They almost got bit by the snake earlier this year by Army when they came to town in Norman. So I think the Black Knights would give a lot of teams... Uh, a bunch of trouble, even the ones that defend well against the run. You know, like I said, you don't see that triple option attack or a very good triple option attack like one Army has on a week to week basis. So uh, Army would be a team that if I were a power five team or even one of the better group of five teams looking at possible bowl matchups, you know, if I drew Army, I'd be a little concerned about that contest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that Army does well, which is amazing when you when you think about the actual stat is time of possession and their time of possession 
I believe is almost 45 minutes. So yeah, for three quarters, three quarters, mm-hmm. they have the damn ball. And, yep. and so you, you get behind by a couple scores and you're in trouble. Yep. I mean, it's probably over. Right. So I, I love that pick. Um, the one I want to go with just because, you know, that they've been in games and they've lost close calls. And I'll play you a lead in as to who I'm picking from last weekend. So if you can't figure it out by now, I mean, it's our man Corndog there at quarterback for Oklahoma State. Uh, but the Cowboys have been close more than just this last week against Oklahoma. You heard on that on the clips that the kicker missed the extra point leading up to that, which means they could have just kicked the extra point for the win had he hit that. And if you saw the two-point conversion play, um, he was wide open. It was just a bad pass by, by our man Corndog. He had him for the W. So I think Oklahoma State, with how they can score, obviously defense is tough uh, for those guys some weeks, but uh, they're, they're still a dangerous team there with four losses. Yeah, and even having that uh, that game against Oklahoma, they lost by one. They came into that one as 20-point underdogs. Vegas wasn't yeah. showing them a lot of love, surprisingly. We knew it was going to be a high-scoring affair. Um, yeah, Oklahoma State um, you know, is certainly a tough matchup to draw for anybody. Yeah, you bet. So who's, who you got for number two? Yeah, number two for me would be Pitt. The Pitt Panthers. They're the hottest team in the ACC outside of Clemson. They started off the year kind of struggling. They got the doors blown off of them by Penn State. Um, they played Central Florida. Lost in embarrassing fashion to one of the better group of five teams in the country. But since losing that one to UCF in late September, they're 4-1. and one. Their only loss over that five-game stretch was to number three, Notre Dame, on the road. They only lost by five that game. They gave Notre Dame all they had. They're averaging 38.7 points per game in conference play, which is third behind only Clemson and Syracuse. And last week, they had a huge 30-point win over Virginia Tech. So Pitt looks like they're in the driver's seat for in for one of the divisional races in the ACC right now. And they'll likely get to, to face Clemson in that ACC title game. Might not work out in their favor, but I think leading up to that point, Pitt right now, they're one of the hottest teams in the country. Um, if I had them on the schedule for the next few weeks, I'd be um, you know, counting on maybe taking the L there. Yeah, and you know, Pitt is the tale of two halves of the season, aren't they? I mean, you mm-hmm. mentioned the couple losses that they had that they actually got boat raced in uh, with Penn State and UCF, and then they've turned over a new leaf for the second half because what those teams did to Pitt, they're now doing to their opponents. And you, you talked about Virginia Tech last weekend. Here's a clip of what got the party started uh, against Virginia Tech. Season, and you're not going to want to miss what Stephen A. has to say. The Jimmy Butler deal to the Sixers. How about this? First play of the drive, Olison. Quadri Olison running over Caleb Farley. Olison with a house call. You've got to be kidding. 
So what you missed at the beginning, because the guy was talking about Stephen A. Smith for some reason, was a 97 ripoff that about 40 yards out, the guy that came up to him, he just takes him by the head and throws him down and keeps running. Um, And that's what's done it for Pitt, though, is their rushing attack has been lethal. I mean, they've been running all over people. I happened to watch that Virginia game where the uh, basically hurricane monsoon happened. And so the only thing you could do was run. And it, it was pretty remarkable how well they do on the ground. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That's why I picked them, Bruce. Yeah, it was, it was a good pick. I actually didn't pick them just because I knew heading in that you were going to cover them anyways. Um, I gave you a little inside baseball there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the next one that I'll pick is Texas A&M. Texas A&M, you know, they're sitting there with just uh, three losses, right? Mm-hmm. And we've got two of them that are to Bama by 22, which still is <laughs> the closest margin that anybody's had with the Sooners. And then you've got the loss to Clemson that they should have, could have won, where they lost by two. Um, Texas A&M's great on defense. The third loss is to Mississippi State. I'm not sure what happened there, but what we're finding out is Mississippi State's a good team, and they've got a really good defense. Uh, So Jimbo Fisher's doing things there already in his first season. Certainly you know that someone didn't leave the cupboard bare when he left uh, or was fired and and ended up at Arizona. But I think Texas A&M's a scary team, and they're a team that plays tougher or the toughest competition week in, week out. So if you're not from their conference and you got to go up against them, it's going to be a tough, tough win. They also picked up their fourth loss a couple of weeks ago against Auburn, but they had that one pretty much wrapped up and they let the Tigers back in late in the game. So six and they're sitting at six and four. And, um, you know, certainly that's a team that people circle on their calendars every single year and heading into the SEC from the Big 12. Everyone thought, how would they translate into that that style of play or that toughness uh, in the SEC West? But they've handled their own over the past couple of years and they've given a couple of those top teams like Clemson, you had mentioned, a run for their money. Yeah, well, I didn't want to bring up that Auburn one because it made my point sound better. So uh, <laughs> thanks a lot, man. Six and three does sound better than six and four. I will agree. Yes. Well, All speaking right, so, of Auburn, they're yeah. my third team that I would have outside the top 25, um, you know, for a team that, that you would not want to face right now at this stage in the season. They're, they were dealt a tough schedule. There's, uh, you know, there's no argument that they play in, in the toughest division and in, in arguably the toughest conference in the country. They did have that inexcusable loss to Tennessee, but outside of that, they just haven't had luck on their side at all this year. Um, They had LSU on the ropes earlier in the season in September at home before a last second field goal put the Bayou Bengals on top. Um, They lost a tough road matchup against Mississippi State. Like you had mentioned, Mississippi State has a great defense. And then last week against Georgia, we just saw talent win out uh, between the hedges throughout four quarters, and they just weren't able to keep pace with one of the top teams in the country. But after they get out of conference play, I almost feel bad for whoever draws the Tigers in the bowl game, just knowing how effective quarterback Jared Stidham can be and how tenacious that defense is most of the time. You mean unless it's unless it's UCF, right? Correct. <laughs> no, that's that's a good pick. I, I mean, one of the crazy things when you look at Auburn is that based on what they did last year, you know, people kind of looked at that UCF game and said, hey, they wanted to be in the CFP. And so when they didn't get there, they just kind of threw in the towel, which may have been, 
I'd argue the UCF team was really good and could have given you know pretty much anyone a run for their money. But you expected the same kind of stuff from them this year when they were returning a lot of starters. They had Stidham back at quarterback, um, and you're not you hadn't well you didn't get it consistently. I guess each each week is what we're seeing. But yeah, if you get them on a given night when they're ready to roll, they they look like a good team. My last one here, or, or yeah, last one. No. Yep. Yeah. Gosh. All right. Well, I've got a I've got a uh, sleeper for you too. It's a combo team. For my last one. So this is Michigan State's defense. (laughs) Because obviously we can't use their offense. And this team that lost a nail-biter over the weekend. Sam with the snap. Ellinger back to throw. Steps up. Goes up. Down the right sideline. And that pass is caught. Little Jordan Humphrey. Touchdown, Texas. L.J. Humphrey in for the score. And the Longhorns back in front with 21 seconds to go. So you had Texas close out Texas Tech over the weekend. Basically, on it really was almost identical play to Crabtree a handful of years ago when Texas Tech stunned Texas. Um, The only difference was that there were 21 seconds left on the clock instead of no seconds left on the clock when Crabtree did it. But when you look at Texas Tech, they can put a lot of points on the board. If you don't count week one against Ole Miss, where I don't know what went wrong when they lost by three scores, they lost to West Virginia by a touchdown, Iowa State by nine, Oklahoma by five, and Texas by seven. So they've got five losses, but if you take their offense and give them Michigan State's defense or vice versa, then I like that little combo team I just built. Yeah, um, that's a great that's a great super team there you got. Yeah. Imagine All that. joking aside, I think either team nobody would want to play, uh, but they obviously have their faults or their warts just on opposite sides of the ball. But either one, um, I've, you know, MSU's been in every single game that they've played in. It's just they can't finish it because they got nothing offensively to do it with. Yeah, nobody in their right mind would want to go up against the nation's top-ranked rush defense in Michigan State. And then also, you know, uh, in a Texas Tech team, it seems like down in Lubbock, they're always so close to competing for a Big 12 championship. They can put points on the board. They just can't stop anybody from doing the same. Yeah, you know, and, and they're doing this with their backup quarterback because Bowman went down. Uh, there against Oklahoma in the second half, and then Duffy stepped up and actually kept it, you, you know, kept it within five points against Oklahoma, and they almost beat Texas. So uh, their ability to develop quarterbacks or recognize good talent at the high school levels is there. I mean, certainly you look at Mahomes right now from Texas Tech last year, who was just lighting or two years ago, who's lighting the world on fire right now for the Chiefs. And, uh, yeah, putting points up is is no problem at all. But one of the things that we got from some of these teams, as well as some of the other games that went on last weekend, is we've got some big games coming up this weekend and some division races that are already settled, but some other ones that, uh, you know, might not be settled to the last week. Uh, to give everybody an update, we'll talk about some of the big games, but a couple division race updates is we've got Pitt. You mentioned Pitt in your top three. They clinch the Coastal with a win this weekend. We've got Arizona State can clinch with a win and a Utah loss. 
Michigan clinches with a win and an Ohio State loss. The Big 12 not going to clinch regardless of what happens this weekend, and we'll talk about that, but there's four teams in the race right now, and it's actually exciting last couple weeks of football based on the matchups. And then you've got the clinchers that already happened over the weekend, Clemson, Northwestern, Georgia, and Bama. And actually, Georgia and Bama, I think, did it the week before uh, mm-hmm. when, when they clinched. So a lot going on, but still a lot that, that can happen. And Ryan, what, what game are you looking forward to the most heading into this weekend? I really like the Big 12 race that's going on right now. And the way that the Big 12 does it, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, taking the top two teams, they don't they don't have any divisions in the Big 12, only having 10 teams in the Big 12, and the Big 10 has 14. So we're not going to get into the math right now, but uh, the Big 12 format calls for the top two teams out of the conference to play each other again in the conference championship in early December. Um, right now in the conference, you have Oklahoma and West Virginia sitting on top. Both are 6-1 and one in the conference, and then trailing right behind them, you got Texas, yeah, Iowa State. Those two teams are going to play each other this week. You have Oklahoma, West Virginia coming up, I believe, uh, next weekend on Thanksgiving weekend prior to conference championship week. So that's going to be one race to really watch here moving forward. Obviously, the winner of Texas, Iowa State stays in the race. The loser goes home. Um, Oklahoma and West Virginia, they have a matchup coming up, like I said, next week. So um, that could be a rematch on championship weekend between those two schools. But yeah, Texas and Iowa State still on the periphery looking to make a strike. And I think that out of all the power five conferences to me is the most interesting race at this point. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, it's really the only one that much else is going on. Obviously, you know, Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend, noon o'clock, the Ohio State Michigan game will be one that is watched. You know, you mentioned West Virginia and Oklahoma could play the last week of the regular season and then play championship Saturday. You know, if we went the same route that the Big 12 does in the Big 10, we could have seen, you know, Ohio State and Michigan square off two weeks in a row uh, in a similar way. But the games this weekend, too, you've got West Virginia also at Oklahoma State, which could shake up things. And, And just as we talked about, the Cowboys have the ability to beat these good teams. They've been on the doorstep multiple times. You mentioned Iowa State, Texas. Uh, So two big games in the Big 12 outside of that conference. Really, you don't have a lot going on. There's only two games that could really shake up the CFP, and that's barring, you know, an outrageous upset uh, of sorts. But you've got Washington State at Arizona, which Arizona's been playing a lot better. So I, I put that on there that something could happen. We knew at uh, and some then point got, preseason that Arizona would come to play. We just didn't think yeah. it'd take them eight and a half weeks to figure it out. No, I think it took someone a while to figure out what to do with Khalil Tate, and then he got hurt for a couple games. And so it, it, he, that team's been all over the place for sure. And then the biggest game of the weekend is your boys, the Irishmen, going to Yankee Stadium to take on the Qs. Yeah, hopefully Notre Dame can have some sort of Aaron Judge, uh, Giancarlo Stanton mentality and just knock this one out of the park. Probably more like the Aaron Judge type than the than the Stanton mentality. But yeah, that, this is a huge game for Notre Dame. Syracuse is the toughest of the two matchups they have remaining. They still have to go out west and play USC. That could be a, a tricky one for Notre Dame. They're playing that one in prime time on ABC to hopefully get into the playoff with a win. But first and foremost, they have to face Syracuse. Syracuse is hot. 
Uh, you know, Dino Babers certainly has that team playing very well on both offense and defense. Um, something that we haven't grown accustomed to seeing, you know, the past few years, Syracuse's defense has been Swiss cheese, allowing pretty much everybody to score on them. But um, this year, you know, they're they're a lot, allowing only 276 points on the year um, while they've scored 444 points. So the difference there um, is almost quite extreme compared to some of the other ACC opponents. So, yeah, the Orange can give Notre Dame quite a bit of a matchup. I think at the end of the day, uh, if Ian Book is healthy for Notre Dame, he gives them enough of a chance and enough skill through the air in order to match Syracuse point for point. But I think this is going to be a little bit higher scoring than uh, what a lot of people are are thinking or what even Vegas has uh, as the point total. So I'm interested to see it. Uh, thank God it's a 2.30 game. I don't know if I could stay up again uh, you know, with a pending heart attack for one of these 8 p.m. games uh, one more time this year for the Fighting Irish. So I'm glad it's a mid-afternoon game, and that way I can um, either be really happy or really upset the rest of the way for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I'll know sooner rather than later. That's true. That's true. It'll be a big game. I have not been to one in a uh, baseball stadium, so I'm not sure what it's like to take them in uh, that way. But it, it it may be an offensive explosion. As you mentioned, Syracuse has eight games where they've scored 40 or more this season. And when you look at Notre Dame, they had 56 against Wake, 38 against Stanford, 45 Virginia Tech, 44 Navy, 42 Florida State. So you've got another six games there where, where they've gotten closer over, you know, that 40 point uh, total. Uh, so, so this could be, you know, it could go both ways. I think it'll be a great game. The Vegas spread is the toughest spread, I think, of the weekend for me to read. I think it's at 10 and a half. And for me, that, that kind of reminds me of that Northwestern-Iowa game where you're like, well, you know, Northwestern could win this game, and they, in fact, did. Could Syracuse win this game? And if they could, is 10 and a half too much? What do you think about the spread? If I were a betting man, which I am on a weekly basis, at least on, on this podcast, most certainly, if I were a betting man and I saw 10 and a half points here between two ranked teams, one of them number 12, the other number three, in a neutral site, and actually, I'm not sure how neutral, I'm sure the Notre Dame fans will overwhelm the Syracuse fans oh, in the yeah. stadium, but Syracuse doesn't have very far to travel to Yankee Stadium, whereas Notre Dame has to load up the planes or the buses and, and take the trip out east to uh, the state of New York. So it's not uh, it's going to be unfamiliar territory for both teams playing inside of a baseball stadium, but I think Syracuse will still travel well. And um, look, we've seen them give Clemson uh, a huge fight earlier this year where they dropped one on the road in Death Valley. So Syracuse is more than capable of competing with a top five team. And Notre Dame, with all that pressure they have on them right now, you know, everybody has their eye on them knowing that if they drop a game, they don't have a conference championship to make up for it. So it's almost you got to win out to make the playoff for them. So that pressure, we might see it come out this weekend and start to weigh heavily on their shoulders. And we'll see if Syracuse can take advantage of it. So I guess to answer your question, that was sort of a long-winded answer, but I'd take the 10.5 points. All right, all right. Well, you heard it here. Take take the 10.5. That's a good segue into our picks for the week. Before we make the picks, if anybody's wondering why we didn't talk about any SEC games over the weekend coming up, let me tell you what eight of the teams in the SEC are doing. They are playing Rice, Citadel, Ooh. That's you Bama fans over there. Middle Tennessee State, Idaho, UMass, 
Liberty, who's in the FBS for the first time, UAB, and good old Chattanooga. So the SEC, you have the hardest week out of anybody. <laughs> I'm not sure how the SEC is going to come out of this one without having some Unscathed. bumps and bruises. Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah, tough and you know what? Kudos to them. We we can have this conversation another time, but they know they don't have to schedule anybody this week. They give their teams breaks before some of their bigger games, before the end of the season, and they still make it into the CFP every year. Sometimes two of them do. So I guess more power to them for taking advantage of something that is a little bit of a loophole in the scheduling. Alabama could trot out their men's field hockey team, and I think they would actually still beat Citadel on the football field. There, there's no doubt in my mind I'd go back there and throw footballs for them because I wouldn't ever get tackled by a Citadel player. They, I even heard I even heard someone saying that uh, you don't have to worry about their QBs getting hurt. You know, two is not going to go down because he will never be touched, even if right. his knee is like broken. He can just stand on one leg and chuck the pigskin around for, for two quarters and then go out in the third like he normally does and get some rest. So Might be a good time to sub in one of their water boys, give him a jersey uh, for the game and see what he what magic he can pull off. Yeah, I mean, this would be a good like Make-A-Wish foundation where yep. you just let somebody that wanted to be a QB you know, come out, throw the pigskin around, good for everybody, and Bama wins by 48 or whatever it is. Right. I apologize to you Citadel fans out there. All of the Citadel listeners that we have. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I was going to say the Citadel fans might total our listeners, but uh, <laughs> yeah, shots fired. So take us into the top, your top five picks for the weekend. Where are you putting your money to start? All right, my first game where I'm putting my money, it's where game day is going to be. Cincinnati at Central Florida, uh, 8 oh, p.m. Good. on ABC this one is where a game where an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. You got Cincinnati. Yeah. They have the number one total defense and the number one scoring defense in the American Athletic Conference going up against the UCF team that's averaging 44.2 points a game, and they've scored 31 or more in each contest this year. Now, we saw another formidable defense in the conference go up against UCF a few weeks ago. The Temple Owls almost got the job done on the road, but they lacked the explosiveness on the ground that makes Cincinnati so dangerous. Um, the Bearcats are hitting their stride as of late on offense. They have accumulated 430 yards or more of total offense in three straight games. And their running back, Michael Warren II, is third in the conference in rushing yards. He's got a 1,082 yards on the ground. He's tied for first in the conference in rush, TD, rush TDs with 17. So UCF, they're allowing over 200 yards per game on offense. I think the Bearcats might find some wiggle room and some uh, some holes to run through there. I'll take Cincinnati plus 7.5 on the road. I do think UCF comes away with a close victory, but the Bearcats at least keep it interesting for that primetime matchup on ABC Saturday night. Yeah, I, I like that pick. You've got Luke Fickle there, you know, bringing a little bit of Ohio, de- defense, Ohio State defense their way, not, not the 2018 version of Ohio State's defense, and you've got a UCF team that's uh, kind of let teams hang around till the end the last couple of weeks. Uh, so great pick there. I'm going to go to the uh, Big 12, but not go to one of the bigger games. TCU has just been a dumpster fire this year after looking pretty solid against Ohio State. They go to Baylor, who's coming off a big win last week, and Baylor's only got a cover two. 
I think they do that easily. I think Baylor will probably win by double digits in all honesty. So for me, that's a, that's an easy one to take the bears by 10 or more. They'll cover the two. No problem. Baylor's been playing some teams tough this year as well. So I, I agree. I, I don't think Baylor has any trouble covering that game on Saturday. Um, speaking of dumpster fires, though, Florida State, the Seminoles, they are in trouble, to say the least. I don't remember the last game that the Seminoles even were in or, or you know, it was close. They won against Louisville. I'm sure they picked up a couple other victories against uh, probably some teams that the SEC is playing this week. But this week, they draw Boston College at home. Uh, the Eagles quarterback, Anthony Brown, he's listed as questionable after suffering an abdominal injury last week versus Clemson. But I don't think it really matters who's taking snaps under center this week for Boston College because Florida State, they've allowed 400 plus yards in three straight games. Last week against Notre Dame, they allowed the Irish to rush for 365 and a 42 to 13 loss in South Bend. So Boston College on the year, they're plus 10 in turnover margin. Florida State is minus eight. The Seminoles are one of the most penalized teams in the ACC. So Boston College, they take care of the ball. They're disciplined. Florida State doesn't take care of the ball. They're undisciplined. It's a dumpster fire. Call the cops. Press the panic button. Things are going south in Florida State very quickly. I'll take Boston College minus one and a half, 31 to 23, final score, Eagles. Plus you got Stone Cold Steve Adazio waiting to just finish off Willie Taggart for all you— for all you Mortal Kombat fans out there, finish him. <laughs> little finish him throwback. I think you're right too. Even without Anthony Brown, I, I, you know I, I don't think it's a problem. They're, that defense will, will close them up, and, and the offense will score enough uh, to get over the hump. And, and you know that game against Clemson without Anthony Brown, he went down in the first half, and they yeah. only lost by 20. And I know people think, oh, only 20. But it was 27 to 7, and Clemson had been putting, you know, 50, 60, 70 points on people week in, week out. Yep. So, good pick there. I'm going to stay in the Big 12 for one more game. And unfortunately, I'm going to go against your, your man, old Bill Snyder over there at K State. They haven't done anything. They barely beat Kansas last week. They have Texas Tech coming into town, who we just talked about can throw up points like nobody's business. They're, they got to cover six, Texas Tech does. I think they do that easy. Kansas State hasn't been able to score any points at all. Um, you know, Kansas let them get over 20, but it's been a while uh, since that happened before the Kansas game. So I think Texas Tech, again, double digits, no problem. Yeah, if uh, Texas Tech can get to 27, they might be sitting pretty there. Yeah, by double digits. Right, right. <laughs> My uh, next game, uh, going to go to the ACC. We had talked a little about Pitt, and I'm going to pick their game here. It's Pitt at Wake Forest. Wake Forest is a six-point dog at home. I had mentioned the outside of Clemson, Pitt is the hottest team right now in the ACC. They have three straight wins despite starting the year two and four. All of a sudden, the Panthers are the team to beat in the Coastal Division, which after that horrendous start to the year, I never thought would be possible. Um, Wake Forest, they are coming off an impressive win against NC State. They had sophomore quarterback Jamie Newman making his first career start in place of the injured Sam Hartman, who's out for the year. Um, This game, though, it'll feature four running backs in the top 14 for rushing yards in the ACC. Um, Pitt's Kadri Allison is the name to remember here. He's got over 1,000 yards rushing, and he's scored 10 rushing touchdowns so far in 2018. Um, Both teams have subpar rush defenses. 
Pitt's allowing about 172 yards on the ground. Wake is allowing 203 yards on the ground. So Pitt's one win away from clinching the division and scheduling a date with Destiny, a.k.a. Clemson, while the Demon Deacons are one win away from bowl eligibility. Even though Wake Forest is coming off that win, I think Pitt has the hotter hand here. I'm going to take the Panthers minus six on the road. Give me Pitt 41, Wake Forest 27. Yeah, that's another good pick. I just haven't been able to pull the trigger on Pitt much this season because I've been burned too many times before with my little love affair with Pat Narduzzi. Uh, The last time I picked him was the Penn State game, and uh, that worked out real well. But uh, they've been playing better football, that's for sure. Hopefully, Um, Wake Forest scares you. What? Hopefully, hopefully you didn't bet your yacht on that game. No, I didn't. But it it did hurt to start off, you know, the early season games there to lose to lose that one. Um, And Wake Forest, like you said, that was that was a big win. It was senior night for NC State. NC State was playing for a New Year's Six bowl game. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it was one of those Murphy's Law. Every Anything that can go wrong does go wrong uh, for NC State, and they lose that game at the end. But, uh, yeah, hopefully Pitt, you know, I'm cheering for Pitt, so I hope you're right that they, they pull it out and they cover. Uh, so good pick there. My next one, I'm, I'm looking in the ACC with you. NC State actually is at Louisville. Louisville's getting 16 and a half. Now, I know Petrino just got let go as the head coach, so this one could be a little bit of a wild card where, you know, whoever's the the interim coach here gets the guys to play, but I think everybody's already thrown in the towel, and they're too far down that road. You've got 20 or so guys that supposedly are looking to transfer here at the end of the season, and I just don't think that no matter who the interim is, he's been on the team. You can't walk back that many people, that many attitude problems, with what's been going on. So I think NC State covers that 16 and a half, and it's similar to what we've seen every week now. Syracuse did it last week. They just get blown out by 30, 40, 50 points week in, week out. I think we see it again. Great pick. I'm going to head back all the way into the northwest corner, the Pacific Northwest in the country, Oregon State at Washington. Do you like big point spreads? Uh no. Well, I love... <laughs> unless it's Bama. Unless it's Bama. Yeah, unless you're laying the points and it's Bama. Well, I, I love big underdogs, especially in the Pac-12, especially against Washington. This is the biggest point spread of the year for the Huskies. They are 32.5 point favorites at home. They've only covered once this year as a double-digit favorite. That was a 35-7 to win against BYU back in September when they were favored by 18.5 points. I'm not sure what games Vegas has been watching, but Oregon State's offense isn't atrocious. Mm -hmm. Um, From 2015 to 2017, they had the worst offense in terms of yards per game in the Pac-12. But this season, they're seventh in the Pac-12. They're averaging about 416 yards a game in total offense. But they do have the worst defense in the conference. They're giving up 542 yards per game. The good news here is that Washington hasn't scored more than 27 points in four straight games. And UCLA is the only conference opponent where the Huskies scored more than 27. So I'm going to take the points and pray the Beavers just get to like 10, you know, so Washington can cover like 38 to 10. Uh, I'm sorry, Washington won't cover, but they'll win something like 38 to 10. So give me Oregon State plus 32 and a half. I think Washington wins this one, something like 35 to 13. So you're telling me Mark D'Antonio needs to go to Oregon State and pluck that offensive coordinator from the Beavers. 
I think he could probably find somebody <laughs> a little bit better than the Oregon State offensive coordinator, but that wouldn't be a bad place to start. It, it wouldn't be worse, let's put it that way. That's true. <laughs> I like that pick, too, because, like you said, Washington is so sporadic on offense. Normally they're pretty quiet and boring when it comes to putting points on the board. Oregon State did did a number even on Ohio State. They lost by a lot, but they put up a bunch of points uh, early on in the season. And if it's tough for you to buy in to what Hunt just laid down, just remember that Michigan did not cover against Rutgers. So Rutgers. You know, they, they were at 39 and a half, and it's, yeah, it's Rutgers, the Rutgers. worst team in Power 5 football. I'm surprised uh, Alabama's not playing Rutgers this weekend. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what? That's true. We all get to play Rutgers, and playing Citadel is tougher, so I guess it's our fault for scheduling week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still don't know why we brought them in for the New York market, but we did. Um, I'm heading, actually, the Big Ten is where I'm heading, so again, you know, good accidental segue here into the Big Ten. This one it caught me off guard. I can guess a couple reasons why maybe it's the spread is what it is, but it's actually no spread. It's even Northwestern at Minnesota is what I saw. Um, I'm guessing it's because Northwestern clinched last week the West Division and Minnesota came off uh, shellacking Purdue uh, 41 to 10. So I guess those two things combined is why it's an even match. But I don't think that Northwestern is going to sleep here. Even if you win the West and win the Big Ten Championship, you're still going to have, you know, if you have five losses or six losses going into a bowl game, it doesn't mean you get a better bowl game just because you won your division. Um, So they still want to play to go eight and four and get a a heck of a New Year's Day game, most likely, uh, down in a warm spot like Florida. They don't want to go six and six and end up, uh, you know, eating Little Caesars pizza at Ford Field. So I think Northwestern pulls this one out. Uh, PJ Fleck, you know, another talk about another team that's uh, consistently inconsistent. These guys win a game and then they lose, you know, by the same margin to a team that's worse than the week before. So I don't expect much from the Gophers. I like that pick. If it was anybody else but Pat Fitzgerald, you might call this one a hangover game for the Wildcats, but he'll have his team playing until the bitter end and uh, I think Northwestern wins and wins that one easily. Let's my hope. Fi- my final pick. Yeah, I'm going to go back to where we started in the American Athletic Conference, South Florida at Ooh. Temple. The wheels have fallen off in South Florida for Charlie Strong. They started out 7-0. and They've lost three straight by an average of 19.6 points a game. <sighs> and in the month of November, they're only averaging 19 points a game on offense. So, uh, you know, things are, are taking a turn for the worse in South Florida. They had two Temple. The Owls have the number two total defense in the conference. They're winners of four of their last five contests. Their only loss in the conference is to UCF on the road. Um, here, Blake Barnett, South Florida's quarterback, he's listed as questionable. He missed last week versus Cincinnati with shoulder soreness. And if he can't go, I think the Bulls' offense is in serious trouble. I'm not going to pick the point spread here, but I will take that total. Right now, the over-under sits at 61 with Barnett questionable and knowing just how tenacious Temple's defense is, I'm going to stay with the under here. Uh, take the under at 61, and I think Temple wins this one 34-25. Nice. I was waiting for that over-under pick. You got uh, it. I, I like that, too, because Temple's, Temple's D outside of Central Florida has been good. Um, and and you can't, you can't badmouth somebody for giving up points to UCF. 
they can throw it all over the yard. So uh, heading into my last pick, I'm going to go where you just came from. We're going out west. We're going to the Pac-12. And I'm looking at USC is at UCLA. Now the Trojans are coming off a loss to Cal 15-14. to Cal's got a great defense, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks. They beat Washington. Um, and I think that USC is going to make it two in a row here and lose to UCLA. So UCLA is getting three and a half. I'm actually going to take the Bruins to win. They're going to be in the Rose Bowl. Chip Kelly's had them playing a lot better game by game by game. And so I think they come out with a W. And again, that'll be one of my uh, picks here for five picks, five upset picks uh, for, for cash money. Awesome. I would actually go the other way on that one and probably take USC, but it's certainly not one that I'm confident enough in to put in my top five picks of the week because it really could go either way. And we've talked already about a couple of teams that are consistently inconsistent, and both of those teams are consistently oh, yeah. inconsistent, to say the least. And and to give you my, my five upset picks of the weekend, I've got Tennessee over Mizzou, Nebraska over Michigan State. I'm sure Ooh. people were waiting. I'm sure people were waiting for me to say something about that spread, but I just can't trust that offense. And uh, Nebraska's putting points on the board. It's at Nebraska. They're going to be hungry. And, and I just think, I don't think we've got a shot. Virginia Tech over Miami and Virginia over Georgia Tech. So the, the state of Virginia pulls away with two wins this weekend. The last one I had, so for five upsets, this is a pick 'em on everyone's behalf. You decide who you want to insert there. Do you want UCLA over USC or do you want Oklahoma State over West Virginia? Your choice. Either way, five bucks is going to pay out between $640 and $730. I like it. You had a little choose your own adventure there at the end for the parlay of upsets. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I've been getting like three or four of these right every other week and it's been that one you know that one extra i throw in there so i thought this time i'd leave it on somebody else i'll make it somebody else's fault based on how they do i like that (laughs) all right so picks are in we've gotten through everything we want to cover i've been sick all week i gotta go to bed thanks a lot fireball (laughs) really appreciate it again fireball one zero uh, yeah, I'm so I'm I'm 0-1 against Fireball. I'm 0-3 in East Lansing for home games. I'm 0-3 for the weather at those games. I'm just having a really bad football year right now. Well, you are in first place in our Yahoo uh, Pick'em League, so at least you could still cash out, you know, 500 plus dollars at the end of the year if you continue in cruise control, as is your name. So things are not all doom and gloom in the Baruki household at this point. No, that's true. If, if I come away with that cabbage, that would make up for all the other losses I've had so far this season. There you go. All right. Well, barring any technical difficulties, which I believe we fixed in this off week, we will have this bad boy up tomorrow. And uh, hopefully we'll have the other one from last week up if you just want to listen to see how right or wrong we were uh, from the week before. But thanks again for, for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Hunt with Bruce out. Corn dog out.